So, but also open your Bibles to Genesis 39. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have one for you. Miss Belinda's right there, so just stick up your hand. She will get you one. And uh, if you don't have a copy, you can uh, uh, keep that as our gift to you. If you also want sermon notes, I believe she has some of those there, and that will help you follow along as we work through this passage. But like I said, we're in Genesis 39. It's at the front of your Bible. Genesis is the first book, the 39th chapter. So some 39 or 40 pages in probably right there. But we're in this series, God Meant It for Good, seeing God's faithfulness in every circumstance. Chapter 39, what was the main theme? Anybody have it written there in your Bible? What was it? Yes, that's chapter 38. Yes, God goes to great lengths. That was last week, chapter 37. Did I say 38? I don't remember. 37, bad things can happen even when we follow God. And 38 was just that, that God goes to great lengths to keep his promises. And so each week as we work through this section of scripture, we are getting, there's a main theme that is highlighting God's faithfulness in every circumstance. And so now we're back in chapter, uh, in 39, into the story of Joseph, who is now a slave in Potiphar's house. So last week, uh, in the previous chapter, it was about whom? It was Joseph's brother, Judah. And that we saw all kinds of scandal there. Maybe some of you are shocked still a week later after reading that chapter. But uh, these two chapters now are running concurrently. And so historically speaking, what is happening in chapter 38 is now happening here in 39. One was in Judah's life, and that's a span of, oh, uh, 20 plus years or so. And so now we're going back to at the beginning when Judah left and went to Adullam. Now we are here. And so we're picking up the story now back in Joseph's life, just as Judah is going there. So all Judah's sons, they're, they're probably being born at this phase is when Judah got married and and all that, just in case you're wondering all the historical stuff. But we're picking up the story now in Genesis 39, and when we pick it up here, we're left with this question. As we get into it here, we have to ask this. When we experience difficulty, what is the difference maker between whether it crushes us or creates in us something great? That's the question that we have to ask as we get back into Joseph's story. And when we experience difficulty, and that can take many shapes, but what is the difference maker in whether that situation crushes us or creates in us something great? I would submit to you that the answer is the Lord's nearness. That the Lord being with us in the midst of that difficulty is the difference maker. And so this is the theme of chapter 39. It's this, this nail. You can write it at the top of the chapter. It's this, the Lord is with us through difficulty. And write that there next to chapter 39 in your Bible so you don't forget it. The Lord is with us through difficulty. And we're going to see this over and over and over again in our chapter. So while you have your pen handy and you're writing that down in your notes and you've written it in your Bible, keep it handy. And I'm going to read for us chapter 39 now. And I want you to do something as you're following along as I'm reading. I want you every time that you see this phrase, the Lord was with or the Lord something, every time you see it, underline that in your Bible. Okay? It's good to write in your Bible. Some are like, oh, I can't write it. I can't mark it up. No, it's, it's good. 
write it. You'll get these notes as you go back to it and you read it. It'll jog things in your memory. And so I'm going to read it now. Keep your pen handy every time you see the Lord was with, the Lord blessed, something along those lines. Underline it and we'll come back to it as I read. You ready? See belt on, pens ready? Mine's engaged? Coffee flowing through your veins? Good. Let's read Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. Ding, ding, ding. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him an overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eye on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Amen. Amen, right? Amen. See, the Lord is with us through all kinds of difficulty. All kinds of difficulty, even the kind that we see here in Joseph's life. How many times did you get it underlined? Anybody? Five, six? I don't even know. I didn't even count them up. Five? All right. Five. But the Lord was with him every step of the way. And he's with us 
every step of the way, when we walk according to his word, when we are walking in his will, in his ways, the Lord is with us. When you walk in sin, it's a different story. You're on your own, and that's a scary place to be. But the Lord is with us through all kinds of difficulties, especially these ones that we see in Joseph's life. And now I wonder if you can identify with them. Let's get a little deeper here. The first six verses now. The Lord is with us through unwanted jobs. It's with us through unwanted jobs. Let's look a little closer here. Notice now, as I said, that this story picks up where it left off at the end of chapter 37. Joseph had just been sold. It's this journey where he was up in in Dothan, and then he was sold to the Midianites, who then sold him to the Ishmaelites, and then to Potiphar, the Egyptian. And this guy is a high-ranking official. He's the captain of Pharaoh's guard. Who's Pharaoh? He's the most powerful man in the land at that time. There's no one equal to him. It would be, as some say, that the president of the United States has the most power uh, among any uh, political leader in our current world. It's the same there. In those days, Egypt was the powerhouse across the globe. And so this man, Potiphar, is the captain of his guard, those that would protect him, those that, uh, that keep him safe and guard the palace and all his comings and goings. And so Joseph now has been thrust into this position of slavery, into a job he did not want. Remember, he was a boy living it up in his father's uh, good graces and then got sold, and now he finds himself here. And what we see happening here, did you see how uh, Potiphar's house is being blessed at every step through Joseph? This is a part of that promise that God made to Abraham way back in Genesis 12. So we looked at that last week, but a part of God's blessing to this family is that they in turn would be a blessing to whoever they interact with. Because the Lord was with them, had made this promise, that then rubbed off on the people that they interacted with, even those that weren't following the Lord. And so Potiphar's house and his success, his prosperity is as a direct result of what is going on through Joseph's life, through Joseph being a blessed person. And so even unbelievers, even unbelievers can notice the prosperity, can notice the difference in a believer's life. And all of this is the reason why Joseph gets promoted. This unbelieving man, this Potiphar, this Egyptian, sees all these things happening. And so time after time, soon he becomes so powerful, so promoted that his master Potiphar has zero concern about what is going on in his household. You see that? He's blessed, he's blessed, he's blessed. He left all that he had, all that he had, everything from the house to the field. Joseph is in charge. The only concern he had was that random comment there in the middle of verse 6 about how uh, accept the food. And that was just a cultural thing. Egyptians didn't eat with uh, foreigners. And they didn't eat with anybody outside of Egyptians. You'll see that coming in coming chapters here as well. And so here he's in the midst of this unwanted job. And so here's the connection for us. Joseph is in this position that he didn't ask for. He didn't want this, right? He was living fat and happy as his dad's favorite son with pretty uh, spectacular clothes, right? That's where he was just a few weeks ago when this chapter begins. And now he's in this place. Now he is Potiphar's slave, doing things that are demanding with people he didn't know and likely didn't even like. As a slave, he was overworked and undercompensated. 
He was being used for the skill and the prosperity that he was bringing to his boss. Sound familiar? You're like, is that explaining my job situation right now? I may not be a slave, but what's so clear in these verses? What is so clear in these verses here, just these first six verses, that the Lord was near to Joseph. It's five times just in that, that the Lord is used. And what's profound about this, it, it, it maybe doesn't come out in our English verse, but look at the Lord. It's all capital letters, right? That is signifying in the Hebrew that this is God's personal name, Yahweh or Jehovah here. It is his personal covenant name that God gave to his people. And this is the only place that it's found in Joseph's life here. In the other chapters, he's just referred to as God. But there's a connection here that even in the midst of Joseph's life, God is in a very personal, promise-keeping, covenantal way near to his people and near to Joseph in particular here. God is with him. And this gives us the sense that, that, that God loves Joseph. And so what does he do even in the midst of this? What do we see exemplary in Joseph's life? His faithfulness, right? He continues to serve even in a situation. He continues to serve and success comes. We stay faithful. We don't give up. We call on the Lord even when we find ourselves in jobs that we didn't want to be in. Whether it's in your workplace, whether it's a responsibility that has been given to you, even in the midst of those things, the call of the believer's life, those who the the Lord has called as his children, if we want to see God's nearness to us, we stay faithful. We don't give up. Psalm 145 says this, The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Beloved, the Lord is near you in your workplace, in your home, in your areas of responsibility, in your service, when we stay faithful. Even when the people around us are backbiting, even when there's a culture of bitterness, even when there is anger and hatred and all kinds of underhanded and shady things going on. God's people, when they are faithful, God is near us. And that makes all the difference. God's nearness. The Lord is with Joseph. The Lord is with us through unwanted jobs, but he's also with us through temptation. If we just stopped there at verse 6, it seems like things are going pretty well for him, right? He's in a good job. Things are, are, are going well for him. He's getting promoted. He has a ton of responsibility, but he also has an enemy, And an enemy who wants to destroy that. Look at how verse 6 ends, and we come into chapter verse 7 there. It says that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Apparently, Joseph was a pretty good-looking dude. Okay? It's only used of of a couple guys, Joseph, and it's also said of David later, but so good-looking that it catches Potiphar's wife's eye, and she tries to seduce him, right? And what did she just do it once? Did she just try to seduce him once? No, she's persistent. And she's persuasive, or at least she thinks he is. And isn't sin like that? Sin, those things that tempt us, they're they're persistent. It's not just a one-time thing, but it comes back and back and tries to catch us off guard. And it's persuasive. Ah, Nobody's going to find out. And one day, Joseph here, look at verse 11, but one day... But one day, this, this uh, stuff continues on, one day he finds himself in a predicament, to say the least, right? 
to say the least. I was, as I was studying this, I have a, a, a good friend. He's actually a pastor now. And uh, he has a hilarious story. But uh, one time, as, uh, he, was, he was a pastor at this point, but he was coming back late at night uh, from a meeting that he had, and he had to drive through downtown of the city in which he lived. And as he came to a stoplight, he was sitting there, and a woman, a woman of the night, it turns out, comes screaming, help, 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 he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me, and is banging on his window. What do you do in that moment? <laughs> And so, of course, being a nice guy as a pastor, she opens the door and he lets her in. Do you see the predicament that this might cause as a pastor late at night driving through downtown and someone in the passenger seat, a lady, a woman of the night? This could turn out very bad for him. This is a predicament to say the least. And so, He's very calm. He talks to her. But what does he do as he begins his conversation? He pulls out his phone. He calls his wife. And he puts her on speakerphone. Just kind of lays it on the dash there and says, Honey, um, just need you to listen in and hang with me here for a little bit. Which, by the way, his wife thought was hilarious. (laughs) The situation that he found himself in. And so as a pastor, and so what did he do? He took himself, and uh, he, he got her to a shelter to where she could get the care that she gave, gave her a card and said, hey, we'd love to have you at the church. How can we help you? Um, how can we, you know, get you out of this lifestyle? And I don't know what else, if she was just lying or try, if that was just a clever way to, you know, do something. But um, it was, uh, he found himself in a predicament. But he found a way of escape to not allow it to become a temptation or something that could ruin his reputation. It was a predicament. It was a temptation. What do you find yourself tempted by? Is it things of this nature, sexual sin? Is it financial sin, theft, gossip? What are those things that uh, crouch at your door? What are those things that... Uh, that, that uh, have a advice, those things that won't get away, the things that the thoughts that come into your mind, those situations that you could probably get away with that no one would suspect you, that you could cheat on this homeworker, no one would suspect that there was anything going on with that coworker. No one would suspect that there was anything shady about that deal that you did. It's so easy to skim. It's so easy to cheat. It's so easy just to kind of start that rumor to create that division. It's, it's easy to give in. And it's interesting to me in James 4, we quote this verse a lot, but it's James is speaking in the context of sin and temptation when he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. See, even in the midst of temptation, the Lord is with us. Here's a verse that you might be familiar with, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Write that reference down and look it up later, but 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
See, the Lord is with us as believers, even in the midst of temptation, even in the midst of great predicaments that Joseph found himself here in, where he was caught. There was no eyewitnesses, and now all the evidence is pointing in his direction that he is guilty, and he's in a situation where it's her word against his word. And in this situation, whose word is going to be believed? Not likely his But just because we find ourselves in temptation doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. Even when we find ourselves in a predicament where it seems to be no way out, the Lord is with his people, particularly when they're walking with him in faithfulness. So here's the way out. How do we get out of temptation? How How do we avoid going to places and doing things that we would later regret? Well, look at Joseph's pattern here. Here's the way out. What does he do first? She propositions him. The temptation comes. The temptation swells up in front of him. The temptation is put before him that he could could do something that would not just be a sin against his master, but a sin against who? A sin against God. A sin against God. And we have to keep that in our mind. We we, We can't just think, oh, sin, well, it just might hurt this, might hurt our boss. It's a way we get back. No, 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 no. Sin is not necessarily a horizontal offense. Though there are times of that. Our sin as believers is a sin against God. And Joseph is teaching us that. That just when we walk away from the Lord, when we give in to sin, it would be a great sin against God. And this is a motivation to why we get the heck out of there. So how, where's the way out? Look what he says in verse 8. He says, but he refused. You find yourself in a, a situation where you're being tempted. Maybe it's thoughts in your mind. Maybe it's a, an, an overt uh, seduction. You refuse. You say, absolutely not. No, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. And not only do we refuse, we resist. We resist because we've seen that sin and temptation is persistent. It's persuasive. We live in a fallen world, and just because it comes once doesn't mean the battle's over. And so we repeatedly resist. We do not listen Verse 10 says this, he's, he's, she spoke to Joseph day after day and he would not listen to her to lie beside her. He resists, he resists, he resists, resists the devil and he will flee from you, New Testament says. We refuse it, we resist it, and finally we run. We run. How many times does it say that Joseph fled. He fled the situation. He fled the situation. He got out of there. See, we don't even go there. If it's a tempting situation, we got to get ourselves out. We can't, we can't go there. If, if, if this is where I find myself sinning, if this is uh, the phone, if this is the computer, or if this is the, the, the office, if this is the time, or wherever it is that the sin continues to dog us, where the sin continues to tempt us, where those things continue to come before us, where the situation gets hot, where you find yourself in that decisive moment, get out of there. Don't even go there. And the Lord will be with you. The Lord will be with us when we say, no, I have to do what is right. I have to follow the Lord even in this situation. Joseph is upheld here, and rightly so, as a man of integrity. He's a man of integrity, knowing that God is with him. He's a man of integrity to his earthly boss and the Lord read this and we come to to the end of it we see verse 12 we see the predicament that he's in and we think to ourselves well surely he will be rewarded for it won't he i mean he's doing everything that's right 
He's a man of integrity. He's a man of, of faith. He's following the Lord. Prosperity and blessing are all about him. But does he get rewarded for it? No, what happens next? Well, the Lord is with him even as it goes to slander. Even as it goes to slander. You see the situation? What does she do there? Joseph runs. He leaves behind his coat. Again, his coat, his garments are getting him in trouble. He runs, and Potiphar's wife begins to slander Joseph's character before his co-workers, these men of the household. And so what does she, she do? Uh, this, this woman has been scorned. She's now been caught, and so she goes and starts to, to slander his character. She begins to, to, to backbite and to do these things. And look at what her, her response here. It's, it's, it's fascinating because this is the typical pattern of, of situations like this. Look at verse 13. He, she says this, See, he, this is referring to Potiphar. And so immediately she blame casts. She puts it on, on her husband. See, he's done it. It's his responsibility. And he's brought this Hebrew. She blame casts and then she uses a racial slur against him, this, this Hebrew just kind of written out there in an English way, but the, the sense is, is that it's like phew, this low life, this Hebrew here to laugh at us. And then she begins to twist the facts. She tells lies, smears his reputation. She blame casts, she makes a racial slur, she twists the facts among his co-workers, among the other men, the other slaves, those people that were his uh, equals, those that were in his charge. But that might be familiar to some of us. You ever find yourself in a situation like that? You work hard, you work ethically, you work faithfully, and that co-worker sends an email out making up this entire story to make you look bad among your co-workers. Ever seen something like that? You raise a family as God wants. You, uh, you, you, you're trying to do things biblically and faithfully with your family, and then you have a sibling that uh, starts spreading gossip about how you know, goody-two-shoe you are or some other things that aren't true about you. You're living faithfully. You're living right. You're doing what the Lord asks, and this is the reward for it. We get slandered, but the Lord is with him. It doesn't stop there either. There's slander among the co-workers, but what does it go, where does it go to next? False accusations. The Lord is with him through these false accusations. It's not just slander among peers, but now it's false accusations brought before the boss, brought before the master. Look at verse 16. Then she laid her garment by her until his master came home. So she's just waiting. You can just picture her just stewing there, right? Like just waiting, like, oh, okay, here's, here's how we're going to get out. And all that time, her bitterness, her anger, her, her, uh, her sin is just uh, engulfing her and consuming her. She's just waiting for him to come home. And then, verse 17, look, it's the same story. What does she do to, to the master? What does she do to Potiphar, her husband, the head of the household? She does the same exact thing. She casts the blame on him. She makes a racial slur. This Hebrew that you brought among us, it's your fault. You brought this guy here. She twists the facts. I, lift, I cried out. He left his garment here. And it's all... Now the boss knows he's blamed. She's just cast it on him. You know, leaders, they're usually the easy target here. You, this is all your fault. If you hadn't brought him... 
And what does Joseph say to defend himself in the midst of these situations? In the midst of the slander and the accusation, look at our verses there, 13 through 18. What does he say in response to these things? What does he say? Nothing. It's just silence. I don't know. He fled. He got out of there. But how instructive for us when we are slandered and accused. We want to defend ourselves, but what, what comes to our defense? Our integrity, our faithfulness speaks for itself. There's no need for this. When we're in the right, God is our judge. God is our witness. The Lord is with us. He's with us even in the midst of these situations where there is absolutely nothing we can do really to change the tide apart from going down the same bitter, slanderous, accusatory path as she's gone down. But he's with us even here, even in the midst of these situations. 1 Peter 4 is, a, is very instructive for us. I want you to just listen to these things. Peter's speaking to believers that also are being slandered. They've been cast out. They're spread out. Uh, there is persecution happening by the, uh, the government for just simply being Christians. And Peter offers this comfort to those whom the Lord is near. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on to test you as though something strange were happening to you. See, here's the lesson for us. Even in the midst of difficulty, this, don't be surprised. It says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When will all the truth come out? We don't need to defend ourselves because we know that one day everything will be made right. If not here on earth, then when all things are revealed in the end. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a meddler. Saying, if you're suffering, if you're experiencing consequences as a result of your sin, well, expect that. The Lord is not near us in the midst of those things, but in the midst of our faithfulness, if we suffer, verse 16, if we suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? Therefore, here it is, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We entrust ourselves. We know that the Lord will bring it about because the Lord is near us even in the midst of slander, false accusations, predicaments that we can't get out of. God's nearness is, is the difference maker for us. These situations do not have to crush us, but they can create in us something that is great. But look at how the story ends. You know here, What's his reward? He gets slandered. He gets falsely accused. We think it should be heading in a different direction, but the Lord is with us, is with Joseph, even through prison. Is with us even through prison. Verse 19 begins here, and Potiphar is angry, right? As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, he's angry. His anger was kindled. You see, like, here's these embers that are just, uh, you know, kind of still in the fire pit, and as soon as this comes, it's like a uh, a wave of air that just 
He's mad. I'm not sure necessarily who he's mad at, whether his servant or his wife or the, just the situation that he finds himself in. He's probably mad because he sees the prosperity that is happening as a result of this man being in his house. And now that he has to do something to punish this man, now he's seeing his own self-interest crumbling before him too because he's, he's experienced a lot at the hands of this man. But what we can't miss here is the fact that Joseph should have been killed for this crime. And instead, he is shown mercy by being put into prison. Joseph's master and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And not just any old prison, not just any old uh, dark dungeon where he would be forgotten, but a prison in which Potiphar was the master, where Potiphar could keep an eye on him. And so what happens here in Joseph's life in, while he's in prison? What happens while he's in prison here? Same thing that happens while, he be, while he's in Potiphar's house, right? And so we don't necessarily know how much time passes here, but he gets thrust into prison and immediately we're told that blessing and prosperity come. That success is brought upon the prison. And even though he's like this, this, uh, this slave, this prisoner here, that things go well for him and he's now actually over other prisoners. It's fascinating. But the Lord was with Joseph, verse 21 says. And so it's a new place, but it's the same pattern because who's with him? The Lord's with him. And so here's, here's just a pattern that we see in Joseph's life in both of these situations and as we're going to see throughout his life. This is the pattern that you could say for faithful living. This is a pattern that you will see even in your own life as the Lord is with you and as the Lord walks with you. You live a life of integrity. This will likely be the pattern of your life. It starts with success or blessing. This is the pattern we see. Comes in, we follow God, we, we do what is right, we live ethically, we live morally, we honor others, we treat people with kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence in our life and we have success. And that leads then to responsibility, an increase. Maybe it is a promotion. Maybe it's a, a just a extra duty, care for people, a care for product, a care for something, but you're given extra responsibility. But with that then comes conflict. See this in Joseph's life here. It's the same pattern. You success, there's blessing, responsibility is given, and then conflict happens. Or they're at the hands of the enemy, the hands of uh, those that would seek to slander us, the, those that are jealous, those who knows. But conflict happens, and the response then is endurance. Endurance. This is the pattern of the life. All of these things happening because the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with Joseph. Otherwise, nada. None of these things happen. But because the Lord is with Joseph, the Lord is with us, here's the pattern of your life. Some success, some prosperity, some responsibility, conflict. Wherever you find yourself in, in the midst of this, maybe you're in a season of, of success, of responsibility. Maybe you find yourself in, a, in, a, in, the, in the stage of, of some conflict right now. There's a silver lining, though. Just endure Continue to follow the Lord. Persevere in doing what is right. Don't give in. Don't, don't cry, woe is me. Where, where is the Lord in all of this? Just endure. And however the Lord works it out, it might be a season of prison. But God's ways are higher than our own, right? We come to this and we say, Joseph should be rewarded for his integrity. And this is what he gets. He gets prison. 
And how, how many times, maybe at the first time you read this, or even these thoughts this morning, you're saying, how is that fair? Right? He did everything. He, he fled temptation. He should be rewarded. And what does he get? He gets prison. But fairness isn't the question. The better question is, God, what are you up to? What are you doing in this situation? God has something better in store that will take the route of prison in Joseph's life. This is why we say God's ways are higher than our own. And so whatever that prison may be, he has need of endurance. Do you? Do you feel like you're in a season of prison? Through your job, through whatever's happening, through through unfortunate circumstances, through things that you're just in a spot where you can't get out. You're trapped here, maybe on your own doing or somebody else's doing. You're in prison. What do you have need of? You have need of endurance. The way of obedience and faith right now for you is to persevere, to endure, even when it's hard, even when it's a long season, even when you can't see the way out. Psalm 73 at the end, verses 26, 28 are great verses. The psalmist is saying, my heart and my flesh may fail, but you, God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's the hope that we have. The hope that we have even when times are tough, when you're ready to quit because it's hard, you found yourself in the conflict and you need to endure, your heart and your flesh are ready to say, enough. It's verse 26, but verse 28, Psalm 73, says in essence this, that but your nearness, God, is my good. Your nearness is my good quote it directly. It says, but for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Not even prison can stop us from telling the goodness of the Lord, the greatness of the Lord. What are you up to, Lord, in this situation? I don't know. This is where I find myself, but you are near me. And beloved, that is the difference maker and whether the difficulties that we find ourselves in crush us or create in us something great. See, in each of these situations that we find here, through uh, this unwanted job, through this, the, the, this temptation, through slander, through false accusations, for, through this prison, in each situation, the Lord is with Joseph. And for those that are in Christ today, in the Lord, the same is also true. If you're apart from Christ, then you're on your own. And again, that's a scary place to be. So don't leave here alone today. Don't leave here alone today. Cast yourself on Christ. Follow him. Acknowledge his goodness, his sacrifice on your behalf and say, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And I want to do this with you. I need you to be with me. For those of us that are in Christ, the Lord is with you. How is he, how's he with us? How is he with us? Okay, I get this. It's my good. He's with us in every situation. How is he with us? Well, he's with us through his Holy Spirit that indwells us. He's with us through his Spirit. God, Christ himself said, it is better that I go away. He told us to his disciples because now the Holy Spirit is with us, living inside of us, teaching us, correcting us, uh, reminding us, encouraging us, comforting us, doing all those things, bringing the Scripture to mind, giving us the joy and things that we need in the situation. God's Holy Spirit lives within us, and that comes out. He is with us as we are in his Word. As we are in his Word. 
as we are filling our minds, as we are, are, are allowing his word to strengthen us and transform us, God's spirit is at work through his word and through his body, through his people, the people that are here with us. And in difficult times, no matter where you find yourself in, if you're in a job that, that you hate, if you're being tempted and dogged by sin, if you are in a situation where you find yourself being slandered and accused, if you are imprisoned by certain circumstances, there is no better place to be than in a body of believers. And let me just uh, say this as gently as I can. When you find yourself in a difficult situation, it is a lie from the enemy that would say, don't go to church. Don't be among your people. No, skip small group. That's as a lie from the enemy who the scriptures say prowls around like a roaring lion. How does a lion devour his, his prey? By taking those who are weak, who are hurting, and isolating them. Getting them away from the herd so he can go and devour them and crush them. But one of God's means, how he is with us, is in this body of believers that love us. Imperfectly, yes. But I would submit to you, it is better to get your foot stomped on in the midst of the herd than to be devoured by the enemy on your own. So allow God's people, allow his spirit, allow his word to be the means of his manifest presence in your life through difficulty. God's nearness is our good. It's the difference maker. This is how he has designed it. But you know the most beautiful part about all this? You say the Lord is near us? Because let me just cast your eyes to Christ now. Sometimes we have to take our, situ- our eyes off our situation and we just have to take him to Christ. Our high priest who experienced the same things we did. Beloved Christ found himself in a position that was below him. He humbled himself. He came to do a job where he was overworked and underpaid, becoming man. It was Christ who himself found himself tempted by the devil. And he fought back with the Bible. He resisted it. He refused it. And he ran from it. The devil fleed from him. Beloved, our Lord was constantly, constantly slandered by the Pharisees, calling him all kinds of names, twisting the facts about what he did and what he was teaching. He was constantly slandered. He was falsely accused before the council, before Pilate, before King Herod, by the chief priests and the scribes. And just as Isaiah 53 prophesied, he was silent before those that would revile him. He did not come to his own defenses. He let his witness do the talking. Beloved, our Lord was held as a prisoner and crucified like a criminal. But he endured to the end, knowing there was something greater in store. Our redemption. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. See, the Lord is with us and the Lord has experienced these things. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. He's not unaware of your difficulty. He's not unaware of these things, but he's intimately acquainted with it. That's why we can cast ourselves upon him. Don't fret. Don't fear. But the Lord is near. He's near. And this is our good. Amen? This is our good. Let's pray.